0: Matthew writes, Jesus says, Immediately after the tribulation of those days, the sun will be darkened and the moon will not give its light. And the stars will fall from heaven and the powers of the heavens will be shaken. Then will appear in heaven the sign of the Son of Man. And all the tribes of the earth will mourn. And they will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven. With power and great glory. But concerning that day and hour, no one knows, not even the angels of heaven, nor the Son, the Father only. For as were the days of Noah, so will be the coming of the Son of Man. For as in those days before the flood, they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving marriage, until the day when Noah entered the ark. And they were unaware, till the flood came and swept them all away. So will be the coming of the Son of Man. Then two men will be in the field, one will be taken, and one left. Two women will be grinding at the mill. One will be taken and one left. Therefore, stay awake. You do not know on what day your Lord is coming. But know this, that if the master of the house had known in what part of the night the thief was coming, you would have stayed awake and would not have let his house be broken into. Therefore, you also must be ready. The Son of Man is coming and hour you do not expect. Let's pray. Lord, I do pray that you help us to... Here and to see this morning the word that you have for your church. May we be a people who are ready. Amen. Um, well, you know The Office. Um, the show from the early 2000s that I'm told by the Zoomers is lost for nostalgia's sake now. Um, looking back on a simpler time. <laughs> um, there's, a there's a scene from that movie where, or that show, um, in which Dwight Schrute, um, kind of the always over prepared, over trained. He's taken too many, you know, free karate classes. He's that kind of guy, um, and he comes to the office. and during During his lunch break, he has all these cans. Of, of expiring food from his survival shelter. And <laughs> he's eating these like giant number 10 cans of like eight year old tomatoes and <laughs> all this stuff. And his, his point is well, I gotta eat it if it's gonna go bad. This is what I do I'm a prepper, I'm prepared, I'm ready for the coming cataclysm. Um, and he and Jim then get into this discussion about just when exactly it's gonna happen. Uh, he said, you know, it could be, Dwight says, it could be any time in the next month or two. And Jim says, oh, that's interesting. Could it possibly be in three months? Yeah, I could see that. Four months? Oh, oh, definitely, sure. Four months is possible. How about eight months? Yeah, I could see eight months happening. And, you know, they sort of cut, but over, they they cut to like, he's up to like 494, 498 months. He's talked him into this. Like, there's no real time when this thing is definitely going to take place. I just want to be someone Who's kind of prepared, and in the meanwhile, I'm just gonna eat expired tomatoes. Right? I'm, I'm, I'm just going to eat all this pickled okra, because otherwise it's gonna go bad in my basement. And there's this, this sort of sense of anxiety that's built up around that, but it's totally in and through our culture. Right? Uh, I mean, it's in all these shows on the History Channel and National Geographic. Like if you go live alone in the woods for how long and, and how much bark can you eat, and how much. How many bugs can you somehow choke down before you sort of crack? Right? It's, it's a part of who we are. We have this sort of underlying anxiety and this fascination I, think, is I don't know all of what that's about, but I wonder I wonder if we think that maybe if we can just be self-sufficient if we don't have to rely the power grid, or our neighbors, or the well being of the roads, we can get rid of all that weakness and vulnerability. What will happen if there's a nuclear attack? Or the zombies, or I don't know, what else? The problem is that that conception of things is is ultimately false. We need people. We need Our neighbors, the thing if you've ever watched that survival show alone, the thing that always sends them home is they just get lonely. Three months in the woods is a really long time when you have kids at home. We need people. Not because we're social animals, but because we need God. But because deep at the core of our being we are not made to be alone. And that community, that, that not aloneness, that vulnerability is built in not so that we will look for each other and go have families. It's built in so that somehow, somewhere, no matter where we are, our soul will and does cry out for God. because We're a people built to worship. and that whole genre of thinking, feeling, ultimately kind of allows us to, uh, at least if you pay attention to the way that people talk about it, in fact, we just went through it again, of course, the the most recent, most important election of our lifetime, right? Like every election is the most important election of our lifetimes, because it's the one happening right now, and I've somehow got to motivate everybody to go do this thing. But unfortunately, that sort of builds this callousness into us, and it allows us over time to begin to justify all kinds of darkness, all kinds of immoral action, honestly, Because if the cataclysm is just on the horizon, if it's going to come over in a month or two months or three months or three years' time, then I can do whatever is necessary in this moment to get ready for that, even if that includes not loving my neighbor, even if that includes making sure that I, I build a situation where me and my family can survive, but not my neighbor's not the folks in my church, only the people who buy in and invest, right? only the people who I'm connected to in some biological way. The Scriptures actually promise us that everything is going to fall apart. right? Matthew 24 says the sun and the moon and the stars, they're coming down. Now what's that about? <laughs> Is that a a comment on cosmology or astronomy? No, I don't think so. Understand that when Joseph had his dream about the sun and the moon and the stars, it was a reference to his father and mother and brothers. Right? The sun and the moon and the stars are those kinds of powers and authorities that exist over and above us, that protect us and shelter us from the evil that wants to crash in. And if your hope is in a functioning Congress, or if your hope is in the Rancho Cordova City Council, or if your hope is in the government to come save you from some economic or, I don't know, biological cataclysm, it may have worked last time. It's not guaranteed to work next time. Why? Because systems fall apart. And eventually empires crumble, and states grind to a halt. And it might be in your lifetime. it might be in li- my lifetime. It might be in my children's or my grandchildren's or my great-great grandchildrens. But one day the systems as we know them will come to a halt. It happened in Rome and in Greece. England's no longer on the top of the pile. right? Babylon came crashing down. I mean, they all eventually, the Mayas are like, you know, under trees. Somewhere, their cities, empires fall. The powers crumble. But the Word of Christ is eternal. The Word of Christ does not crumble. And so, for a people who are living through cataclysm, what is it that we can rely on? And this is a hard thing to try to stand up and say, and yet it's how Jesus wants to form his people. To help them see and know and understand that in some way, his word is actually more eternal and more ultimate, more important than all the systems and structures, the sun, moon, and stars that we live our lives by. That somehow, if our retirement accounts are emptied, if our houses are gone, if our cars can no longer be relied upon, if we have the word of Christ, and I don't understand this, but it's what Jesus said. If we have the word of Christ, then we have what matters most. He is where our hope lies. On the other hand, if we have all of those things, The world is humming along just fine when we have Jesus. Then we're just a shell. Like, he says, in the days of Noah. In the days of Noah, when people married and were given in marriage, when they ate and drank, and then here comes the flood, taking all of it. 13 opens with an interesting line, owe no one anything. Other translations say things like, have no debt except the debt to love one another. I don't think that's a Dave Ramsey comment, <laughs> right, about whether or not you should take a loan out of your car. I think it's a comment about how we put try to put others into debt. The debt we all must live with, he says, is the debt of love that we have to one another, to love others as we have been loved. This is the thing that happens, and this is what happens when we move our focus off of the horizon and that sort of coming cataclysm, and instead we look at the word of Christ speaking to us. All of a sudden we have a different perspective on these things. We recognize how deeply it is that we have actually been loved. And when we know how deeply we've been loved, the only response is to then love others in return. So I don't owe anybody a debt of love because of how much they've loved me. I owe the whole world a debt of love because of how much Christ has loved me. You see how that... Works It's not a this for that where, well, you did that thing for me, so now I've got to do something for you. It's rather that I have reflected on how unworthy I am of the cross, of how unworthy I am of the incarnation, The Christ would, in fact, become one of us. It changes everything. Let us fulfill, he says, the law in our actions toward our neighbors. And then, then he says the words that captured me. Besides this, you know the time, that the hour has come for you to wake from sleep. That salvation is nearer to us now than when we first believed. The hour has come for you to wake from sleep. Against the ways of the world, what Jesus kind of calls the days of Noah, eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage, Paul calls us in Romans to wake up. Have you ever noticed, in fact, you may have noticed it on Thursday, as you push back from the table, probably with the top button of your pants unbuttoned, <laughs> and lay your head back, and it's like, here comes the food coma, right? That, that Just like the tryptophan kicks in, and you just start to get sleepy. It just sort of starts to lull you into sleep, and it's kind of chilly outside, but it's warm inside, and you find that place on the couch, and there is nothing that's getting you up. That's what happens in the world. That's what happens when we live life the way we're told to and taught to and trained to. We live life with this, how do I fulfill my desires? If I have an itch, how do I scratch it? And our vices cause us to fall asleep. They're the kind of sick inversion of virtue, right? The vices, these these things, these ways of living that we have that ultimately break us down, and instead of waking us up, making us more alive, they dull the senses. They numb our hearts. Paul calls out orgies, wild parties drunkenness, sexual immorality, sensuality, all ways of saying, look, I'm going to take this thing in me that hurts and I'm just going to try to turn the volume down on it for a while. And so what I'm going to let myself do is be driven by my desires. I'm going to be driven by my passions, by those things that seem so compelling to me. They almost seem to just like bubble up from within me and I I can't separate myself from them. So I take these desires and I just go someplace where I'll just, some chemical, some person, some situation that's going to turn the volume down on that pain. And honestly, it's totally understandable. It's totally and completely understandable. But it doesn't get us anywhere. In fact, when we engage the passions, when we engage those desires with that same, by just satisfying it, all it does is actually deepen the desire. So that the next time we come to it, that need is greater. The next time we come to it, that cry is louder. And the high is lower. So that ultimately we're going back and back and back to that thing just to get to baseline, just so we can function. Because we've driven the rut so deep that in order to just be able to move through the world, we've got to pack that rut in our mind, in our heart, in our soul to something else. This is what Paul's referring to. He talks about quarreling and jealousy. We could talk about the ways that we live in this rage inducing culture that looks to be made angry. Right? Where we actually go to the news to tell me something, because I know the world's wrong. Somebody just tell me how. Right? I know the world's messed up, so I'm going to turn to that particular channel that tells me that I'm right and everybody else is crazy. We live through it on. Friday, hopefully you lived through it. Just this, our particular culture with this consumerism that really is on kind of an unheard of scale in the world. It's kind of wild how intense Black Friday has become. And we take it off of work. <laughs> we don't even get Good Friday off of work, right? But Black Friday, <laughs> gotta get to those deals, I guess, unless you work in a store. Things are being sold. But again, what's going on there? We've taken this season, this moment, this journey in which we ought to be bringing all of who we are to God. We ought to be taking that deep longing, that deep brokenness, that sense that the world is not right. There's something cracked in the very foundations of this world that we live in. And instead of placing it before God in prayer, we say, Look, here's an 80 inch screen TV. Look, here is an awesome deal on something that will just quiet it down until Easter when we'll have more deals for you. The truth is the world is organized not around our well-being but around our sickness. It's organized around our ill health. And it's built to keep us from Christ so that we prioritize other things, so that we put other things in the place that Christ ought to be in. Our passions, which war in the soul against the truth that God is love. And we do all these things to numb ourselves, to numb our pain, keep us from seeing the truth. And so then, as we come to this season of Advent, what is it that we're actually called to do? It's not what you may think. The church does not call people to just engage in all of that stuff a little bit right to shop a little bit to be moderately generous what the church actually calls her people to do what it prescribes is a fast that's what advent is just like lent advent is meant to be a fast the point of that is to peel back the layers it it's to actually make us feel that stuff more The church does something counterintuitive where it says you're hurt, you feel like something is wrong, you've got all these passions that are crying out, you've got all these itches that need scratched, all this kind of stuff. Here's what I need you to do. Instead of turning your eyes away from it, I want you to look at it. Look at it. Instead of all that stuff that you go to 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 quiet those voices down, look at them harder. I'm going to take away even the good stuff you have, like, I don't know, Turkey. I'm going to take that away. you got a fast turkey. I'm just making something up. you got a fast turkey so that when everybody else is eating turkey and Christmas cookies, you have to say, I can't do that. Why? Because I know that I'm sinful and broken, and I need to look at my sinfulness and brokenness. That's what the fast is about. I need to look inward. If I'm really going to walk this journey, if I'm going to be ready to come to the manger, if I'm going to be ready to come into Bethlehem and say to this baby Jesus, You are Lord. If I'm going to be able and willing to bend the knee with the the shepherds, to present the gifts with the magi, if I'm really going to be able to do that, not in this kind of month-long food-induced comfort, but if I'm going to be able to do that in the the truth and the honesty that, that I've given all that I have and I'm bringing all of who I am to that manger, then I need to take a moment. I need to take a few weeks. To pause and center myself on Christ, to look more deeply at those things that I maybe have not fully repented of, at those habits that I've allowed to creep in and define me, at those practices that I've let become my identity. And in doing this, again, The texts for today are not what we would expect or want. Behold, he comes, riding on the clouds. (laughs) I know a lot of us think about that as good news, (laughs) but the point of Matthew 24 is that unless you are like a very, very repentant person, it's not good news. (laughs) The coming of Christ is terrifying. And to some respect, we all ought to be terrified. We all ought to be saddened by that. Because we know that at the coming of Christ, there will be things that we will, that I will be judged for. I know that I'm not pure silver and pure gold. so There's stuff that's going to be burned out of me when Christ fixes his gaze on me. And maybe I can't get it perfectly right or in line in this life, and that's fine. Maybe what needs to be tweaked in me is that I should want the gaze of Christ to burn those things out of me. I should be longing even for that pain because I know it's a pain that ultimately brings me into the presence of Jesus. I know it's a purification and not a condemnation. And that's the call for us. Let us love one another. If we find ourselves failing in the way that we're loving our neighbor, let us confess it and not hide it. Let us bring it into the light and say, Lord, am I seeing this properly? Am I seeing this correctly? And if I failed, thank God that you are gracious, thank God that you are merciful. Thank God that the one who's going to judge me is also the one who saves me. And so I can bring all of that confidently, knowing that I am not condemned or defined by my sin. But the one who sees the truth in me also gives me the ability to live a new life. The merciful news of Jesus is that we don't have to live a life Constantly slurping up old tomatoes. <laughs> Rosalies, what are we slurping up? <laughs> we don't live a life where we are our own salvation and whatever we have stored in the basement is what's going to get us through. We don't live a life where the grace that we have merited and, and, and packed away is the thing that's going to enable us to survive. Far from it, we live a life in which we live off of the infinite goodness and grace of the Lord who gives all good things. All we need to do in order to receive mercy is to say, Yes, Jesus, I know that I'm wicked. I know I'm in need of mercy, but your goodness is larger than my wickedness could ever be. These are the things that prepare us to live a holy life. They're the things that burn that imperfection out of us and help us to become the tool for God's purpose that he's made us to be. Well, the nice text for today is Isaiah 2. We read it in our uh, midday, midweek, midday prayer a few weeks ago. We are sort of reading and praying through the book of Isaiah. Um, you're more than welcome to come join us Wednesdays at noon um, over in the classroom over here. And as we read that text, you know, we had read a couple weeks of Isaiah 1, which is pretty rough. Um, It's pretty rough. (laughs) I invite you to go read it. Um, In fact, the rest of Isaiah 2 and 3 is also pretty rough. Isaiah's got a lot of judgment to speak to the people of Israel. But in in chapter 2 he he receives from God this this vision, this depiction, this this moment of the kingdom. In which he says that the mountain of the Lord is raised up. This this mountain of the Lord is raised up and it's raised up high and those who had been to Jerusalem said, "Well, it's not that big of a hill. I don't know what he's talking about," right? But the point is, is that wherever God is, is always the highest mountain, right? So even if it's only, you know, a little bump in the road, it's still the highest, it's still higher than Mount Everest, (laughs) right? So this mountain is raised up, and as the mountain is raised up, everybody, it says all of the tribes and the nations, all of the world streams to it. Now, this is a total inversion from the way Israel was seeing things. Because often when we hear these texts about judgment, what do we hear? Well, God is going to lift us up, because we're the good ones. But all those other people are going to get it. When those, when that fire comes, and when the Son of Man comes riding on the cloud, oh boy, he's got those he's got lightning in his eyes, and he's got a sword in his mouth, and he's going to bring it to him. Right? Well, Isaiah says, "Look, don't you understand? that you're only chosen, you're only elect." so that you can build this mountain you can be a part of Christ building this city for everybody to come to he restores their purpose to them he restores their mission to them and all the nations and all the tribes like water flowing uphill are going to seek the lord and then isaiah tells us the lord's reign and rule in christ the king will result in justice and peace it says He will judge the nations. And what that means is that they're going to bring their problems to him and he's going to give them a good solution. Right? It doesn't mean that he's going to come out and whack everybody. It means that they're going to bring their hearts to him and he's going to say, this is how you do it. Let me show you. And all the peoples of all the nations are going to come and they're going to be seeking the ways of the Lord. They're going to be seeking, how how do I live right? Right? It doesn't mean Jesus is going to pat everybody on the head and says, I'm okay, you're okay, we're all okay. But it does mean that everybody's heart is going to be turned toward the right and say, how can I live the right life? How might I repent? The Lord's reign and rule will result in justice and then, of course, peace. The end of war and the worldwide beginning of righteous living. Where swords are beat into plowshares and spears into pruning hooks. That you can reach those figs and those plums way up on the high branches. And the question is will that be good news or bad news for you? Will that be good news or bad news for us? If you make your living selling swords and spears, it might be bad news. Right? You might not want the coming reign of Christ. If you profit and live off of sexuality and sensuality, it, you might resist the coming of the Son of Man. If the way that you deal with your sadness and your anger and your fear is to get drunk and numb it, then the coming of Christ might be a threat to your way of life. And you might not actually desire it. But if we fast and pray, if our hearts, and our minds are not asleep at the wheel, but are instead awake to the presence of Christ. And this knowledge of the Son of Man who is coming, of Zion which will be raised up, of the nation streaming to the center so that they might live righteous lives is unbelievably good news. What we said in that midweek, midday prayer group to be wonderful or interesting and exciting to think about what Isaiah 2 might mean as a vision for our church. I know we're kind of at a place where we're thinking about names and the possibility of going by a different name. What would it mean for our church to reflect deeply on the fact that this is the reality that we're called to? Are we ourselves a people who are willing to go disip, undergo discipline in order to be better prepared for that kingdom? Romans 13.12 says, The night is far gone, the day is at hand. So then let us cast off the works of darkness and put on the armor of light. Isaiah 2.5, O house of Jacob, come, let us walk in the light of the Lord. So what does it take for you to choose the light today? What are the works of darkness that you need to cast off? The light is coming, and you could be one who dreads it or one who is in preparation through fasting and prayer and disciplined mind. A couple ways I want to suggest. Um, the one is small groups. Um, It's something we don't do all year round, but we try to do especially during Advent and Lent. We have five of them going, different times, different places. Um, And we'd love for that to be something that you commit to. It's only four weeks. And what's the goal of that? The goal is not just to have another thing to do during the week because it's nice to get together. The goal is that During those four weeks, you would actually find a group of people who can hold you accountable and say, you mentioned, you know, on week one that these were some of the works of darkness that have been kind of tough for you. Now, here we are in week three and four. How are you putting on the armor of light instead? It's getting a group of people around you so that you aren't alone, so that you don't buy into the lie that you can do this by yourself but recognize that in needing one another, we need really God who gives us to one another. Small groups are a community for the desperate, people who desperately need the Lord, which, if you don't think that's you, that's you. (laughs) The second is, uh, this was a suggestion, an idea from Pastor Cody, Uh, kind of an end-of-the-year review. But as we, as we come up to the end of the calendar year, this, by the way, is the beginning of the, of the Christian year, so Happy New Year. Um, as, as we come up to the end of the calendar year, to maybe take some time, and there will be an email, hopefully today, uh, with a link where you can sign up for it. But just take some time and say, look, I want to sit down with somebody else, and maybe it's just me, or maybe it's me and my spouse, or my family, or whoever needs, is sort of in your inner circle. Um, and to ask the question, where am I? Where am I with Christ, and where would I like to go? And so I'm in those time slots or outside of them. You can just get in touch. We'll figure out a time. I'd love to sit down with you. I sort of take this as a part of my job, my calling, my responsibility, um, to sit down with you and, and ask you some questions to help you see where you are. And then what we're going to do, January 1st is also a Sunday, and so we'll have our Wesley Covenant service like we do on January 1st, that first Sunday of the year. And it will be a time for you to commit to maybe some habits or practices this year of, hey, this is how we're going to live a little bit differently in our household. Here's some things we're going to do to shift where we've been so we don't end up in those same ruts. And then we'll check in again sometime during Lent as a way of saying, hey, it's been three, four months. How are things going? How might we readjust and and refocus? But again, these are just ways of us saying, look, I want to figure out how my life can be fully and completely centered on God. Knowing that that's a desperately difficult thing to do in the world that we live in. There's a reason I picked this kind of foggy path. For our slide for these next four weeks. Because often, that's what it is. Living the life in Christ is, we look backwards and we see it pretty well, but walking forward often feels kind of dark. So, that journey gets a lot better when we do it with other people who are walking in the same direction. I hope you'll take that seriously and be open to. Um, be open to the voice of Christ maybe even be open to some discipline over these next four weeks let me pray for us Lord God in your mercy you have given us not only each other not just a community of other people who are struggling you've given us your son Jesus who takes and fills all of our struggle and our difficulty and our loss. With his love, with his mercy, and maybe most importantly for this period, Lord, with his light, So that we can see clearly, and again, maybe we don't see a mile down the road, but we can see the steps in front of us. So I want to ask you, Lord God, to enable us to, to serve and to follow you to come before you in hope and expectation that you really are the one who will renew and will save us out of all of our brokenness, out of all of our our passions and our vices and the sins that so easily entangle and ensnare our feet as we seek to walk this journey. Lord, as we come to the table, would you help us to admit our desperate need of you and we thank you that you have not left us alone in the midst of that need.